Look at that, birthday central. Uh, my wife turned a very young and fresh and beautiful 32. Uh, was I not supposed to say that? 20, 28. Uh, that's right. I know what you guys are thinking. She definitely robbed the cradle. <laughs> I am younger. You don't, you don't care, do you? Okay. Well, can I be done stretching this out? Are we, it's, I mean, I can, we can do this all day. Technical difficulties are fun. Listen, I don't know if you guys know this about Christmas, but it's on December 25th. <laughs> um, mind blown. Uh, how many of you guys have your Christmas shopping done? I'm going to only do this for a few minutes more. Not a lot. That's not very good. Okay. Well, Miller's, Miller's done. Miller's Too bought gifts for everybody. Too many. Okay, guys. Well, listen, we're going to go ahead and record. And if we can get it on Facebook, we're going to do that. But otherwise, honestly, thank you guys so much for being here. We're glad that you're here. Um, stand with us. Let's worship. And let's have a great Sunday morning together. I didn't ask that question. <laughs> Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn King Christ by highest heaven Hail the incarnate 
You guys can have a seat. Good morning. We are very glad that you uh, are here joining us today in person. And all the folks that are online, I know we have uh, probably a higher than usual amount of uh, cross pointers meeting us online. So thank you for, uh, for joining us virtually as well. So the biggest chunk of announcements today is all going to be about uh, when we're here and when we're not here. I'm going to do my best not to convolute this. If you've talked to my wife, uh, you'll know that one of my superpowers is making easy things complicated. So I'm going to do my best here. Okay. So we are, we will be here for in-person services on the 13th, uh, which is that today? That's today. Uh, <laughs> the 20th. And our Christmas Eve service, which is on the 24th, Christmas Eve, 
at 5.30. We're, we'll put out stuff on our uh, Facebook page to remind people uh, when to be here, when we're having stuff. So we're here today. Uh, we're going to be here on the 20th and then again for the Christmas Eve service on the 24th at 5.30 in the evening. So then there will be no in-person or online service on the 27th, that week there uh, in between. We have traditionally as a church taken that uh, Sunday off. So no in-person or online services on the 27th. And then on January 3rd, it will be virtual only. We're going to try. We know that a lot of people are going to be meeting in person with their families on Christmas. Uh, and so we're going to kind of give some, uh, some space between those gatherings and when we uh, meet here in person. So there will be uh, online service only on January 3rd. As far as the gathering goes, our Wednesday night group, there will be no gathering on the 30th. And the sixth, the easiest way to remember that is if there is no in-person service on a Sunday, that following Wednesday, there's not going to be any uh, Wednesday night activity. So no gathering on the 30th uh, and the sixth. The kids area does remain closed until further notice, but uh, there are some activities there under the whiteboard for the kiddos uh, during the service. So we are having uh, all family Sundays until further notice. If you have any questions uh, about any of these dates or if I made this even more confusing, uh, get with me afterward and I'll try to clarify. Paul has also got track of it or any of the church staff uh, and we'll try to make sure that you're, you're straight on all of that. There's also no men's prayer meeting for the rest of the year. Chase and I usually come here pretty early in, in the morning on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, we won't be doing that for the rest of the year as well. Before we break, I have a, I have a praise, uh, something I'm very proud uh, of our church. Basically, all of the, uh, the giving that we asked Crosspoint to do uh, is, is done, and we met all of our goals. So that is the PB&J for the wheel-fed pantry, the stovetop stuffing for people helping people, the Christmas gifts for people helping people, and uh, helping Nightlight with their Christmas program. Crosspoint, uh, we asked you and you responded, so praise the Lord, and we thank you for uh, your generosity for helping our, uh, our mission partners here uh, in our area. I also want to say that um, Caitlin and Amanda are really going to be stepping up over the next few weeks over this Christmas break to kind of run the music and all that. This is not their uh, bread and butter and their full-time deal like it is with, uh, like it is with Phil uh, and those are pretty big shoes to fill, to, to fill, big shoes to fill. Okay, that works, that works. Uh, but I just want to say thank you. Phil is still working on all the behind-the-scenes stuff, even though uh, he won't be here uh, for a while just because, you know, his wife is pregnant and COVID and all that. So, But he's still working very hard behind the scenes. But I, I did in advance want to say thank you to Caitlin and Amanda and the rest of the band for uh, adapting to all of this. Five-minute connection break, connect with somebody six feet apart, and we'll see you in five minutes. And we'll say good morning, and we're just glad that you're here and able to join us. If you're joining us online, we know that you're having to watch us after and not live, and we do apologize for that. Technology is a wonderful thing until it isn't, uh, but we will work to get that figured out for next week and make sure that we are live for you then, but... Uh, we're glad you're joining us no matter when you're joining us. You know, as Christians, we celebrate Christmas because of the birth of our Messiah. It represents the day that peace and salvation entered the world. 
The day that Christ was born was the day that God made a new covenant with all mankind, stating that it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or where you are, God is for you. And he chose the shepherds and the wise men to deliver that message in a very unique way. And so today we're going to be in two passages of scripture that we're going to look at. One, the account of the shepherds. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. The second is going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and that's the wise men. Uh, Concerning the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, it said, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, our Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told." Now, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at the wise men. This is what it says concerning them. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star, and I'm going to put star in quotation marks because uh, for those of you who don't know, it wasn't a literal star. Uh, It wasn't some universal phenomenon either. Uh, The majority of biblical scholars will tell you that it was the Spirit of God leading the way for them, much like he did for the Israelites when they were uh, released from captivity and wandering through the desert. So this isn't a literal star, but we'll kind of explain why this interests them. So it says, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out From them, the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All right, that was a lot of scripture to lead us off, I know that. First, let's talk about the background of the shepherds. Now, the typical view taught by most scholars in a lot of churches is that they were the lowest of the low. They were looked down upon. They were lazy and dirty and mistrusted. And we're going to get more into that in a moment because I'm going to be frank with you. uh, A lot of study, a lot of time spent on this. I'm not sure that that's the most accurate view to have of them in this specific time. It was a view that was held 
in ancient times, both before and after this specific time, but I'm not sure during this specific time that's the view that we need to have. Now, the shepherds, we do know this for sure, would lodge in their fields uh, with their grazing flocks from April to autumn. And so that's like early September-ish, late September-ish at, at the most. And so I'm going to be frank with you. We celebrate uh, Jesus' birth on December 25th, not for historical reasons, okay? And we can get more into that later, but that's not really the point of this. Jesus was not born December 25th, 0000. There's some people that held that view. I just want to be clear that that's not the case. Now, we do know that they were the first to be told about Jesus after his birth, and they were the first on record to evangelize about him after his birth. When we look at the wise men, or the magi as they're referred to uh, in our passage, they came from the east, but the exact location is unknown. It's widely believed that it was somewhere in Babylon. Uh, They traveled a great distance. They were not present at the time of Jesus' birth. I know a lot of times when we do our nativity plays, it's here, here come the shepherds, and then right down the aisle, here come the wise men, and they were there, and they give the gifts, and Jesus is in uh, you know, the manger, but that, that wasn't the case. Jesus and his family were already living in a house, and when they refer to Jesus at the time the wise men got there, they, he's referred to as a child in the Greek, not baby. They're two different words. And so the, she- the, the shepherds were there at the time of the birth, but the wise men, they were not. Now, magos, which translates to magi, literally means magician in the Greek. These wise men were Gentile scholars. They focused in the area of astrology. They, they were real big into the stars, which is why the star attracted them so. Now, chances are that they knew the star was coming, and they followed the star after hearing Balaam's prophecy for Israel from uh, Daniel when he was captive in Babylon. And that prophecy comes from Numbers twenty-four seventeen. It says, I see him, but not now. And this is talking about Jesus, the coming Messiah. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter, a ruler, talking about Jesus, will rise out of Israel. Last thing, they were not kings or royalty of any kind. Now, they probably worked in royal courts. They were well respected. Uh, But we three kings were, in fact, not kings at all. Uh, The backgrounds of our two groups this week have as much significance, if not more, than any other group that we've addressed so far. And I want to kind of get into that. Now, the traditional contrast that that is drawn uh, between these two groups focuses on their status in society. Again, the shepherds who were lowest of the low and despised and dirty and looked down upon versus these wise men, the kings of the Orient. And the message derived from that contrast most often is that Jesus is here both for the downtrodden and yet worthy to be celebrated by the ruling class of society. And that he chose the shepherds first because first and foremost, they were the absolute least of these in our world. I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that that message is false. Okay, I think we have plenty of proof throughout scripture to support that idea. Jesus often chose to spend his time with tax collectors and prostitutes and dine with them way before he would choose to celebrate and dine with rulers and religious teachers of his day. And if we look at Matthew 5.37, it further kind of supports that idea uh, that Jesus' priority was to, serve the fir- was to serve the least of these first. Matthew 5.37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? 
The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So that idea that Jesus is here for the least of these in society isn't one that is not supported by scripture. But I'm not sure that in this specific passage, it's the message that we need to take from it. And I actually think that it makes that message that Jesus is here for the least of these and for everyone even stronger. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Now, as far as this negative view of the shepherds, I know we're kind of, this is more like a Bible class almost than a sermon. Like it's factual and I don't, I'm just, bear with me. There's one comment by Philo, who was a contemporary of Jesus. He was a teacher, a philosopher, a really intelligent guy, contemporary of Jesus. There's one statement in the Mishnah, which was Jewish oral tradition, and the views of Aristotle uh, from 300 years before Jesus' birth that looked down upon shepherds. But beyond that, Scripture sees shepherds in a very positive light. David Croteau, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, is a New Testament scholar. He is the associate dean of uh, the Columbia Biblical Seminary. He's got an MDiv from Golden Gate where my grandfather went and uh, looked up a lot about him this week. He seems like a really intelligent uh, and well-spoken guy, but he, he's going to say something that sounds familiar because I got this information from him. Uh, besides Aristotle, I said that, a comment by Philo in one statement in the Mishnah, the bulk of the quotes used to demonstrate that shepherds were despised were taken from the Babylonian Talmud. I was unable to find even one source from first century Israel used to support the view that shepherds were societal outcasts. Therefore, this viewpoint is dated after the events being studied in Luke 2. It is unreliable information and should be discarded whenever interpreting the Gospels. On top of that, I want us to bear in mind that Abraham, Moses, David, Isaac, Jacob, all shepherds, all shepherds. If we look above and beyond that, David begins Psalm 23 by stating, the Lord is my shepherd. In our passage from today, when we talk about the prophecy about Jesus, in Matthew 2, 6, it says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Jesus, or Judah, the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Again, comparing Jesus in this passage, comparing the Messiah to a shepherd. It's my belief, I firmly believe, that God would have had the foreknowledge to not use this comparison if it was going to be something that would shed a negative light on Jesus entering into the world. Okay? Beyond that, in our passage concerning the shepherds, Luke 2.17 says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about him, and all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. There's a very important context clue here. You see, all the people were amazed that the shepherds, at what the shepherds were saying to them. The words that were coming out their mouth were what was amazing to the people, not the fact that the shepherds themselves were the ones delivering the message. Nobody balked at that. And so if we take all that into to consideration, what's the contrast to be made here? As already stated, the wise men traveled a great distance to find Jesus. We know that about them, but what about the shepherds? If we take into account prophecies from Micah in verse 2, chapter 4, and uh, Micah, verse, or chapter 5, verse 8, it mentions Bethlehem and the Tower of the Flock, two separate locations. So it talks about how Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem, and the tower of the flock would be near that thing. Well, we find out that the tower of the flock was located roughly one mile from Bethlehem. This information is important. These bits of information are important because it changes the specific view of this passage. 
This passage changes from Jesus being here for both the high and low of society to Jesus being here to those, for those that are both near and far from him. And I think that that's an important distinction. If we see the passage in this light, it changes the message from Jesus being here for both the low and the high of society to being here for those that are both near and far from him. Socioeconomic status doesn't even enter into the equation for Jesus. In fact, nothing enters the equation for Jesus except for the fact that you believe in Jesus. Nothing matters else to God other than that you hear the message of Jesus and that you believe it. And it doesn't weaken the argument that God is here for the lowly and the despised. It only strengthens the view. You see, when it comes to salvation, like I just said, literally nothing else enters the equation whatsoever other than your faith being placed in Jesus. That is so incredibly important for us. And it should make you smile and it should make you happy. Because one of the biggest struggles that we have as Christians and people in general, when you share the message of the gospel, one of the biggest hiccups and hang-ups that people have is, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know about my past. You don't know where I've been. You don't know that I'm unforgivable. And if we're honest, we've all at times felt that way. You, how, how can God love me when I lied? How can, how can God love me when I was an addict? How can God love me when my whole life showed that I didn't love him? How can God love me when I used to persecute Christians? And you're sharing this message of the gospel to me, but how, how can God even forgive the things that I've done? And the thing that we have to understand is that those things don't even enter into the equation with God. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and the two thieves were next to him, one that, that, that was persecuting Jesus still and, and, and mocking him, and the other who stood up for him and expressed his belief. What did Jesus say? At this man's very last moment in life, a man who was hanging on a cross justly for the crimes that he, can, he committed, Jesus told him that today you will be with me in paradise. Because it doesn't matter how society sees your worth. It doesn't even matter how you see your worth. What you have to understand is that God sees you as worthy. Jesus came into this world because he looks at you as worthy. So not only does scripture make it clear that it doesn't matter what you have to offer him, it also doesn't matter where you are in your relationship with him. Ultimately, Jesus came for you. Ultimately, Jesus came for you. And he came for each and every one of us. Those we love, those we don't love. Those we get along with, those we don't get along with. Those who hear our message and think we're foolish and those who hear our message and accept it. Jesus came the same for each and every single person. So whether you only have to travel a mile or your journey to Jesus takes you years to complete, what truly matters is that when you hear that Jesus is near, that the Messiah is near, you go to him. And not only can you be forgiven, but you will be forgiven. This is a game changer, like no other game changer in the history of game changers. God rewrote everything by sending his son to live on this earth, to later die for our sins. And we need to understand that no matter how far away we are, no matter how far away you are from him, he is worth the journey. He's worth the journey. 
I was given a bit of wisdom when I was younger by my mother uh, that stuck with me over the years, and it's that no one is on the mountain all the time. I'll explain what I mean by that and what she meant by that. I was really struggling with my faith because I always felt like I had to be at the pinnacle, right? I had to be at the very tip top of the mountain. And the moment I wasn't there, I felt like a failure. And it was overwhelming to me. It was crushing. I am failing God. I'm failing Jesus over and over and over again. How can they possibly love me? How can I possibly be forgiven? How can I be anything but destined to go straight to hell if I'm not at the peak all the time? But the fact of the matter is that none of us are. Life is a series of hills and valleys. And sometimes we're at our highest heights and sometimes we're at our lowest depths. But the thing that we need to understand is that no matter how near or how far we are, Jesus is here for us. And Jesus is with us in those times. So when you're on a peak, celebrate and absolutely rejoice in it. That's exactly what the wise men and the shepherds did when they got so near to Jesus. They bowed down before him and they worshiped and they praised God. And that's exactly what we should do in those times. But when you're not on the peak, when you're finding yourself in a valley or on your way to the valley, don't let the journey back to Jesus overwhelm and crush you. Know that the journey is worth it. And the work that you have to put in is worth it. And also know that you are not alone. Because we are all sort of on this roller coaster ride that eventually ends with Jesus and ends at heaven. And if your faith in Jesus is real, if your belief in his salvation is real, you're going to find yourselves high, you're going to find yourselves low, but in the end, you will find yourselves with Jesus. You will find yourselves with Jesus. And really, truly, guys, that's all that's important. In Joshua 1, 9, it says, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. These are words that God's speaking directly to this group of people, but I firmly believe that they apply to us as well. God is with us wherever we go. We need to remember Paul's words to the Philippians. In Philippians 3.13, it says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is Paul, the, the author of the most books in our Bible. A man who chased after God his entire life once he met Jesus. Because before then, he was persecuting and murdering Christians. He was persecuting and murdering believers. But when he heard that Christ was near, when Christ came near and he was blinded by the light, he responded. And he understood and he teaches us something here that we all need to understand. Let your past be your past and chase towards the things that are ahead. And the thing that is ahead is Christ Jesus. The thing that is ahead is Christ Jesus. Forget the bad, celebrate the good, but never fear the journey. The wise men knew that. They gave up 
their time, their comforts of home, and their personal safety because they realized that Jesus was worth the journey. As the band makes their way back up to the stage, I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to leave you with this. Tell your story. Okay? Come on up, guys. We're going to get you up here so you can join in prayer and be with us at the end. But I leave you with this, guys. Tell your story. Okay? Tell your story. Never doubt the power of what Jesus has done in your lives. Never doubt the power of what Jesus has done in your lives. Be like the shepherds who, after meeting Jesus, told everyone they knew about him. Your testimony is power. And frankly, I don't think that you have to have anything more than that. I'm not saying that it's not a good idea to equip ourselves with all the tools that we possibly can when evangelizing to others. But at the end of the day, our story and God are enough. And what's going to make the biggest difference in others' lives is what Jesus has done for you. And in this Christmas season, especially this Christmas season, people need life and they need joy, and they need hope, and they need peace. And what they really need is Jesus. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day, and I just, I want to lift each and every one of us up to you, Lord. I pray that your will be done in our lives, that you give us the things that we need and forgive us as we forgive those that that we need to forgive as well. Keep us from temptation and evil. Give us power and confidence to know that you love us, to not fear the journey, to know that all we, we need to do is, is to chase after you in this life and to give us understanding to know that there will be hills and there will be valleys and and our road to you will not be smooth and without obstacle. But, oh man, is it absolutely worth it. No matter how close we are to you or how far we are from you, you are for us. You are for us. You do not forsake us. You love us. And we praise you for that in this season. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I know things are going to be a little different this morning because of our focus on social distancing. I do want to tell you guys thank you for wearing masks. Um, I really, truly appreciate it. If you need prayer for anything, I'll be back there in the back. And uh, we'll both be masked up, hopefully. And... and just let's pray. Even if we have to do it for six feet, you can come tell me your, uh, your prayer request and then I'll pray for you and, and we'll praise God together. But stand with us now and let's just worship. Let's worship God today. Even though
and powerful God that we serve. This is the time in our service where we get to show our appreciation and obedience to God through our tithe and our offering. Uh, we are not passing baskets right now uh, because of COVID-related concerns, uh, but if you're one that likes to give in person, under our lamp back there, there is a uh, box that has a little slot in it, and you can place your offering there, uh, and we'll get that collected today and, and put in the safe. Um, otherwise, you can give online through the Tidely app, and uh, it's a really easy process to set up if you've never done that and are interested in that. That's something you can talk to me about at a later point, but uh, let's just pray over our offering right now. Uh, God, we come to you right now. We thank you again for this day, and we thank you for uh, the tithe and the offering that we are about to receive as a church. Lord, we pray for continued wisdom um, when it comes to using these funds. Lord, help us to only further your kingdom with, with what has been gifted to us. And Lord, let it be known that we are extremely appreciative of the fact that people believe in Crosspoint enough to call Crosspoint home and to give tithes and offerings to our church. Uh, at the end of the day, God, we just want to build your kingdom and glorify you. So again, give us wisdom and give us power to use these funds uh, in the best possible way to make sure that that is what happens. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand with us? Well, you're already standing. How about that? It's like magic. Right. Let's sing about God's goodness. Close like no other I've known you as a father 
Thanks for coming.